I, I actually, now that you said that, I do want you to sing it for me. It's Wheel of Randy. Boom. A couple members of the Randy Newman fandom discussing one of his songs at random, followed by another. That's a cover. It's Wheel of Randy. Hey, it's Wheel of Randy, the most popular Randy Newman podcast east of the Rockies, as they used to say on Coast to Coast. Whether you're new to Randy's catalog, or you only know the hits, or you're a super fan, or like me, you're somewhere in the middle. This is a place for us to come and talk about the man. Each week, a guest brings one song for us to talk about, and then we spin the wheel and talk about a Randy Newman song at random. Wheel of Randy is part of the Good Trash Media Network and is brought to you by Wade Engineering. Stay tuned after this to hear a message from the fine folks at Wade Engineering. Let's go back and edit that so folks becomes folk, because it's just me. We'll, we'll fix that, right? Let's start the show! It's Wheel of Randy! Happy New Year, everybody! We are back for Season 2 of Wheel of Randy. Ye number one Wheel of Randy. The number... Yeah, it's the number one Wheel of Randy podcast in the world, but also the number one Randy Newman discussion podcast in the world today. And we have with us today Mike McVeigh from Oklahoma City. How are you doing, Mike? I am here, and I'm doing well. Mike and I have, have, have been talking for a long time about, about doing a crossover episode. And so I just recorded his episode, and he's recording mine. And so Mike runs a podcast called, I want to make sure I get this right, Nobody's a Nobody. Did I get that right? All right. Yes, sir, and, you did. And, Sorry. Yeah, I'm, I'm already going to mess up, so just uh, go like, dang it, Mike, stop interrupting me. <laughs> <laughs> you can interrupt me all day long, Mike. Uh, so Nobody's a Nobody. Uh, and this is where you interview, is it all local people? Is it all people here in Oklahoma? No, uh, most of them are because I currently live in Oklahoma and the people I come in contact with the most are in Oklahoma right now. But it's anybody I've come in contact with in my lifetime that I find absolutely fascinating. And, you know, it's... Yeah, it, it... I agree. That's how I describe my <laughs> podcast, too. It's like, it's... Ah, goodness. <laughs> It, it fulfills a need. I, it, it, I I really enjoy listening to it. I, I confess I listen to the ones that are people that I know, so I'm probably losing the spirit of this. But but you have a way of, of bringing out uh, the storyteller in everybody, that you have uh, a way of, of, of getting them to, to say what's interesting about them. And I think that's so much of what we're, we're missing and not so much in podcasting specifically, but just in interviewing. We, we get so celebrity-focused that we're missing you know, all these great stories that are surrounding us all the time. I agree. 
<laughs> Thank goodness. If you'd said, no, that's not what we're doing at all. Boy, would I be embarrassed. You've been doing, how, how many episodes do you have now? At the time of this recording, I'll be putting out my 43rd episode today, but that will be, I think, my 31st guest. And what's it like for you trying to find people to talk to? Or is, is, is that a struggle, you know, finding people to be on the show? Because I, I know, and I know I'm not the only one. It's like, oh, come on, you can be on my show, buddy. You can do this. I think before I actually had the podcast, it was a little bit more difficult because everybody says like, Hey, you want to help me move? And we're like, Oh yeah, we'll help you move. Just uh -huh. let me know the day. But I've, I'm a, I'm very much a people person in the sense that I love people, even the stupid people that I want to hurt really bad because they hurt my feelings, you know, 34 years ago or something. But I really find that I've invested so much in other people for the things that they care about um, throughout my life that I haven't had as many problems trying to find guests. It's more, I did have one week where a guest got sick and got ca and canceled. So I ended up just talking out loud for a long time and somehow people still willingly listen to that. Um, I think I was up to four that day. So it was a really good day, All right. but um, no, I was really six, but I just like to undercut, make myself look cooler. Yeah, uh, humble, humble. I, I think, it. I think that's the word we share now. Humble. Um, <laughs> but no, I actually have a list of about 700 people that I want to eventually interview. And every time I get to interview wonderful people like you and some others, then I say, well, see, it's not just like I interviewed only people that um, aren't necessarily particularly cool, which that's why I'm glad I have you because I need some of those cool people. But I also had people that literally no one else in their world would have ever thought to interview, uh, like my daughter. And... And people still somehow listen to that one and are like, yeah, Mike, you really are a bad dad. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I found that, that I'm, I'm not a people person, at least in the traditional sense. Uh, you have to drag me to a party and I'm going to leave early talking to as few people as possible. But honestly, quarantine has opened me up. You yeah. Know, uh, and I find myself talking to more people and talking to more people in more meaningful ways. And uh, I found that, that no matter who I talk to, if we can get past those first few minutes uh, and we can really open up, and that's one of the nice things about this show is that you know, we have this immediate end, this immediate connection with a certain song. Um, the, it, it, everyone really does have a story to tell. Everyone really does have something in their life that makes that makes my life richer. T t tell oh, sorry, me. you ordered me to say something there. <laughs> uh, for, for, for the uh, for the audience, uh, Mike was nodding there, which 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 is an old podcast pro move. To, yeah, to just kind of signal to each other. That that that's how you get that that razor sharp timing on, on, on our podcast and lots of edits, a lot of post edits, <laughs> lots of edits. Yeah. So a big, I'm a, I'm a only child and I was a latchkey kid and growing up, I, I was a freckle faced, um, reddish haired kid. Um, and I got bullied a whole bunch and not like the bullied that people say like, Oh yeah, my, someone called my daughter a bad name on, cell phone and I'm not taking away that that's impactful psychologically and stuff but I literally remember you know a kid who I was 
getting heated with, um, took his backpack off and it was weighing like 15 pounds or something. He just hits me right across the face in fifth grade in front of everybody. And I'm the one that got detention because I instigated it because he called me a name and I called him a name back. And then I pushed him and I got hit in the head with a 15 pound backpack. Um, I had in fourth grade, I remember specifically being held down by, uh, we didn't use the word then, but the posse of the bully um, uh, and his girlfriend kicked me um, in the central section that everybody loves so much. And he's like, yeah, and you don't want to see what I would do if I was going to start on on you. Um, and I, I wish I was making jokes. And I wish this was just hyperbole for the sake of it. Um, so I learned how to fight bullies by trying to be funny. And I fell miserably most of the time. But the only way that you can actually be funny to somebody is to get to know what they respond to humor wise. And then you kind of, once you kind of get that humor, you have a little bit way to bring out what's important to them on other subjects. And that is one of the things that I really like to hear people's story. Um, because I had a professor in college who said people do what makes sense to them. And I kind of thought of this from a logical perspective that we always say, you know, people aren't doing things that are logical. Well, they're not doing things that are logical based on what we consider to be logic, but they do things that make sense to them. So in their own logical system, they're doing exactly what makes sense. And that's so frustrating because we more times than not, I want to say, hey, you're just really stupid, but they're not stupid. They just don't fit my level of what I think they should act. And so I, I've tried to devote a lot of time trying to understand where people are coming from, uh, even though I don't always agree with them. And I'm not just talking about extended family on Facebook <laughs> when they post. Uh, that's good practice. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're the best practice, actually. Oh, and stuff and things. Sorry. Um, and I always say stuff and things because Walking Dead, my wife and I forced ourselves to watch the first few seasons. And we it was unbearable for us because the pacing was all wrong. But Rick always said, like, hey, Rick, what are we going to do? And he was like, oh, we'll do stuff. And then later he's like, well, we'll do things. So we just have this joke, running joke that anytime someone asks us what we're going to do in real life, oh, we're doing stuff and things. <laughs> I know that you work for the state. We won't get too much into that. But uh, I also heard that you've got a book. Tell me about Coming <laughs> Oaks. Yes, uh, it sounds like somebody's looking at Google and Amazon. <laughs> no, no, no. No, this is, no. no I, I just ask the, the local urchins on the street, what, what's the skinny on Mike McVeigh? And they say, hey, governor, he's got a book coming up. Yes, exactly. And um, it's, it's mostly propaganda of how to. No. <laughs> uh, I better be careful because uh, I know some of the listeners that you have on your show because I'm one of them. Uh, <laughs> They're a very so forgiving know, group, I've said. <laughs> yes, I like to be known as forgiving. Thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, yeah, so I joined Toastmasters back in 2015, uh, mostly out of boredom. My wife was a part of the Dirty Girls group here in Oklahoma City, and they do – and you probably know this because you seem like a I did a little Toastmasters, yeah. Oh, I was talking about the Nerdy Girls part. But, oh, no. Uh, <laughs> Uh, Nerdy Girls is a group, and it's an amazing group. It's there's organization, there's clubs all throughout the United States. But my wife found the one in Oklahoma City, and they do all these cool things. They'll like do a book club, graphic novel club, 
they'll get together and thrift shop. They'll just get together, do puzzles, games, all this different stuff. And every once in a while, they'd let the spouses or significant others come in and um, they treated me better. But, you know, I always thought about joining a nerdy guys group. But the problem is, is that you hear who's the best Batman and nerdy girls. It was like, oh, well, I really like Michael Keaton's Batman. Like, oh, okay, yeah. And I like, you know, I really enjoyed Ben Affleck's Batman. I mean, I know, and if you had that same conversation in a nerdy guys group, it'd be like, no, 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 best ever. Well, I don't think Christian Bell's a good, in fact, the best Batman is actually Kevin Connolly. Well, boom, you know, and, and it'd be and, like, and then, and then there's one guy that's like, huh, Adam West. <laughs> and please don't make fun of me. I don't really appreciate that. Oh, no. no, no. <laughs> I, but yeah, I, it's very interesting there, Robin. Yeah, I, I can, I could not. Yeah, I can't see that working with guys. <laughs> so way. I agree. So I was watching Netflix, and my wife was like, "Well, why don't you find something to do?" And um, I used to be really big in reading leadership books because I always thought I would be a leader someday. And um, the world's been working against that as much as possible. <laughs> but you know, Zig Ziglar and John Maxwell always would talk about Toastmasters being a great way to do it. Yep. I walked in, and actually, uh, Joey's Joey Rodman, your guest that you had earlier. Uh, last season, her husband, Michael, was doing from the interpretive um, interpretive speech manual, he was doing the scene from Princess Bride where uh, the man in black and Indigo Montoya are having their fight scene. And he's narrating this and he does these perfect voices. And I was like, this might be the area that I need to be. <laughs> you know, if there you're coming to a group that's quoting Princess Bride, it can't be all bad. And yeah. that got me kind of started on journey. I know that's a really long introduction to the book. Well, I started getting into speech contests because I believe somebody who said that, um, hey, you could be a winner. I'm like, well, I like winning. Um, I was going to make a really bad political joke there, but I'll just move on. You know, I'll just go more of a Charlie Sheen, like, duh, winning, you know, and <laughs> just kind of keep on going on. Um, do, do, you, do you know the Nixon line about winning? No, I don't. It says, I find that I need to establish within myself a winning image. Therefore, I need to beat somebody. <laughs> I kind of like that. <laughs> I feel a little bit uncomfortable with that too, but <laughs> uh, I joined the humor speech contest for my club and did a really horrible, horrible speech. But fortunately, it was just a little bit less horrible than the other contestant that day and went up to the area level and completely revamped my speech because uh, Michael, in fact, was the one that just like, hey, your all your jokes were horrible because everybody knew what the setup was by the time of your speech because you did kind of a... Um, oh goodness, I can't think of the dude's name now, the philosopher, but you had your thesis, your antithesis, and then your synthesis, but that was your uh -huh. joke. Well, this is happening, but then this happened. Now it's this, in, and it was that was my whole role. So I watched a lot of Steve Martin in between contests and based it off of this really horrible Saturday Night Live skit. And I, I, I can get way bogged down in details, which you would probably find interesting, but they're going to get edited out anyway. So I'll just, no. <laughs> oh, in that case, uh, there's this great, and you can find it on YouTube. Um, there's a great thing from Saturday Night Live where Steve Martin is doing what he really wishes for Christmas. And first thing is like, if I only had one wish for Christmas, of all the wishes in the world, it would be that everyone could hold hands together and make the world a better place. If I could have two wishes, I'd want all the kids in the world and all the people to hold hands and have the world be a better place. And I would like to have money. Like, and then the third one... <laughs> is um, women, uh, as many women as he'd like to have. And then the fourth one, he goes, all right, 
if I had four wishes, and it, it, of course it builds because it's like first he starts one, two, three, and then he goes in the fourth. If I had four wishes, I would first, of course, yeah, the children holding hands, whatever, and yeah, money, and then um, women, and then absolute power. I want the power to destroy all those people who even think he gets me. It's like, wait, you know, no, no, let me reorganize. In fact, if I had one wish, it's going to be absolute power, then the women, and then the children, or then the money, and then the children, or whatever. Yes, that's, it's like, um, but it's kind of a, I think this was like late 80s or early 90s, but it was kind of preempt, uh, preempted the whole, uh, what about the children kind of thing from The Simpsons with uh, Reverend Joy's wife and everything, and uh, this speech, I just killed in fact, I had 100% of the votes because there's no other contestants that day. Ah. <laughs> and I didn't disqualify on time. In the meantime, I had given a speech um, for someone else's contest to, to the, for their evaluation contest about, uh, it was supposed to be an inspirational speech, and I'm really horrible at inspirational speeches. And so I talked about the time that I dressed up as Elsa for Halloween at uh, Department of Public Safety Highway Patrol and won first place. And it was supposed to be basically, if a guy like me, six foot eight at the time, 400 and something pounds, um, you know, just all this horrible facial hair. If I can win as a Disney princess, then you can do anything. <laughs> <laughs> that was supposed to be the goal, but everybody would just died laughing because just imagining me in a dress right. is much funnier than actually seeing me in the dress. I mean, that's still pretty funny, just not nearly as funny as what just your mind creates. And Everybody's telling me you should enter that in. And I actually won um, the state level for with that, with talking about dressing up as Princess Elsa. And therefore, uh, that got attached to me very easily, very quickly. Well, in the spring season, they do the international speech contest, which is still more that inspirational speech kind of thing. And I, I really suck at those. So um, I figured I don't want people just to think of me as Elsa. And uh, one of my professors from college, uh, Steve Green, he always talked about, that it's kind of an Aristotelian way of thinking about how we are to be who we're supposed to be. And um, between Steve Green and Scott Daniels, another professor there, they talked about how an acorn is not supposed to remain an acorn, but it's supposed to become an oak tree. And therefore, if an acorn only tries to be an acorn, only tries to do acorn things, it's never going to realize its full potential. Mm. But the acorn should always try to become an oak tree. And that was kind of the, and that's been a very big way of, influence on when life is tough, whenever horrible things happen, um, to continue trying to be what you're created to be instead of, or try to become what you're created to be instead of just staying where you currently are. And that was the inspiration. So most of these are stories about, um, I wouldn't say necessarily only bullying, but just hard times in life. Like we went through a miscarriage. Um, I happen to have a name that sounds phonetically the same as a uh, American-born terrorist named Timothy McVeigh, uh, who uh, blew up the Murrah building, <laughs> and my mom was across the street, and they originally said courthouse, so that's a whole um, thing, but um, that also that led to high school bullying for me, as opposed, so I, I got to have the trifecta of elementary, junior high, and high school bullying. Wow. Um, got a little bit of it in college, but that one wasn't as bad. Um, talk about my relationships with women, or lack thereof, <laughs> and uh, kind of just... Uh, when I went out to Pennsylvania for a job, uh, how that was probably the worst decision in many ways, but that through that experience where I was at the lowest point of my life at that point, that there's always, if you only concentrate on where you are, you're never going to be, have a chance to become something different. And 
you just have to kind of push through. And so that, that's kind of the impetus. And I had a friend in Toastmasters like, oh, you need to write a book. So I was like, ah, fine, whatever. Um, so I took a series of blogs that I had written at the time and I kind of reformulated them as the base of the book. And then I expanded on both sides. And uh, I think I have like up to, I, I want to say jokes and say like, oh yeah, I've got like 10 copies sold. Um, I think I've got 12 copies sold, <laughs> but I gave away a hundred of them for free. So, right. so really it's 112 sold. It's just that I bought a hundred of them or 101 of them. So, <laughs> man, oh man, that, that's, that's a lesson that, that I need to take to heart. It, it's so, it's so easy for me to, to look upon, okay, failures in my life. Uh, sometimes challenges, sometimes failures, sometimes you know things that I pursued that didn't work out, and just to 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 not get any growth out of that at all, to just to just really go after myself critically uh, because of that. Um, so, is that something that that people just have to unlearn, or do certain personality types grow better than others? Like, What's your advice for someone who's trying to grow through adversity like that? Oh, goodness. That is a great question that I'll have to develop an answer while giving gibberish um, talk at the same time. Okay. Or just lots of edits. I go, no, uh, <laughs> let me say it this way. I definitely think it's being a product of being an ex-millennial. I'm right on that line of Generation X, millennial. Okay. Um, depending on the group you look at, I'm in that group. I was born in 79, so literally every generation chart either marks it as 78 through 82. And that seems to be a, there's, you know, we have, the, we're the Oregon trail group. You know? <laughs> <laughs> we're the, uh, so we were all told we were special, but with skepticism. And, <laughs> and I'm not saying it was just our generation or just that little mini generation, but I'm definitely a product of that. Every kid is special. Everybody can be president, but at the same time, watch out the world's evil and, and you're going to, you know, get, you're going to get knocked down. Uh, so I, I was very fortunate to get the worst of both worlds and came through a, uh, when I was five years old, my dad um, felt a call to ministry and he sold everything he had in Dallas and we moved to Oklahoma so he could study to be a pastor. And um, because of some previous things he had done in his life before um, even being a Christian, let alone being a pastor, it eventually, at the time, our denomination was not very open to some of that stuff. And so they didn't kick him out, but they just didn't let him move forward. Mm-hmm. And that created a um, crisis of sorts for him, uh, which, of course, crisis family, because, again, all of our family and stuff was in Dallas um, and surrounding areas. And now we moved up to Oklahoma State, which we do have family here as well, but they're Oklahomans. And, you know, they're just, they're not quite Texan. They're a little bit smaller because everything's bigger in Texas. Man, uh, I get it. Yeah. 400, you know. <laughs> um, but it, I remember my dad, I literally remember my dad working three or four jobs and working really horrible jobs. Like he, he was a shift manager at Wendy's and he got fired because he wouldn't um, compromise ethics. And then he became a, um, oh goodness, I can't even think all the different jobs, um, but he eventually became a funeral director. And, you know, when you work with dead people all the time, uh, it creates some beautiful um, humor and, but also gives you kind of just a different perspective on life overall. And I, I think my, my parents always kept on trying to achieve while I was growing up. My dad eventually got a master's degree um, in um, management of science, and my mom got a law degree. 
and they kept on pushing themselves to become better. Now, maybe it was at my expense, and so I have student loans for the rest of my life, and I'm okay with that, I think. And I might not ever pursue a master's degree for that thing, so I won't get to take that curse up and have the doctoral level, and then make my daughter have to get, like, two doctorates or something like that. Uh, but... <laughs> Um, but I saw that they were always trying to be, they're always trying to go, um, further. And part of that's American dream. Part of that's the, I don't even know what the, there's this idea that we just can't become static. And I was fortunately caught up in this, this thing with my family, my family, even though they irritate me to no means, cause again, I'm an only child. So <laughs> my parents are the worst people in the world and the best people in the world, but it is, it's inspirational for me to see anybody try to better themselves and try to just try not to continue staying where they are. And so that's one reason why I love this podcast because I get to hear now, sometimes it's the afterwards, you know, these, some of these people have led these great lives and stuff, but then you have like, you know, Samantha Crane come on and you, um, where they're still in the midst of becoming um, the greatness that they're going to be. And I absolutely, and we, we talked on the other podcast about um, celebrities and stuff. And I love celebrities. I mean, I love the stories and stuff behind the scenes. VH1 was the greatest gift to, you know, behind the music was the greatest oh, gift. The DVDs, was... Oh, yeah. Watch. <laughs> uh, watching the background and, you know, watching the narration from the director's cut. And, you know, uh, by the way, one of the best director's cut ever is Pee-wee Herman, or Pee-wee's Big Adventure with Tim Burton talking oh. about why they have black on the screen and stuff uh, for the opening credits because they just didn't have enough money in the budget. So they just did a black <laughs> screen with white letters. Um, <laughs> Um, you know, Kevin Smith with all of his movies, uh, especially the earlier movies like uh, Clerks and Mallrats, just hearing why they made the decisions they made. And um, then, of course, Mallrats, the ultimate inside joke movie that was so much a joke that it lasted in the theaters, I think, like two weeks or something, um, uh, if even that, because <laughs> it's like one of the worst um, worst movies in the theater ever. <laughs> and that's and for a big budget movie. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I don't know. I. I think I've always kind of decided that one day I was going to be something great, but I didn't ever, I was never the smartest. I was never, I'm definitely not the most athletic. Um, I, I was the, the athletic dummy. If in every, anything, you know, I, I was fortunate. My, my parents sacrificed a lot to put me in a good school district that we were the poor people. I mean, and again, perspective, I always thought I was really poor growing up. And then I went to college where all the, all the people were, um, coming from pastors' families. I went to a small private Christian college. And so like, there's all these little, <laughs> like I was the, I was the rich guy comparatively uh -huh. because of the school we went to, we were the kind of the poor family and that's not, no, no, I, I, I just didn't know it until I got exposed to it. Yeah. Um, and the people I went to high school with their stories. And in fact, even on my podcast, we've only interviewed a couple of them so far because my class alone, we had somebody work for MTV um, right out of the gate uh, we have a guy who wrote uh, Broadway plays um, when when he was 21 that got published on Broadway. <laughs> One of the ladies, she uh, is the CEO of the largest barbecue chain um, in the United States. Uh, one of your favorite people uh, I graduated school with um, happens to be mayor of Oklahoma City, um, mm. who I grew up with. Um, okay. The there's there's a lot of people that just went and did cool things. And then like when I'm in college, you know, they always tell you like these are the great grad schools for your degree and you know, like Yale or Duke, um, for my, for my area of interest, that was the ones that they always pushed. And then I find out like two of the people I went to school with, they went to Yale on a full ride. I'm like, Oh my goodness, they went to Yale on a full ride, which is still impressive no matter what. But it was just kind of like, I went to school with somebody that went to Yale on a full ride. <laughs> That's, yeah. 
there's just something kind of cool. I'm like, and I, I went to a school that I only got in because they literally have 100% admission rate. All right, all right. <laughs> um, I was the middle of the pack, but I always felt like I was going to do something great. And because I am a very lazy person on the things that everybody tells me I'm supposed to do, I try to just get good at some of the other things. So I read voraciously. I try to consume information and hopefully it catches up with me a few months later, a few years later, that what I read will eventually come back in there. I love pop culture because I think it tells us a lot more um, than what we usually say it does. Mm-hmm. And um, I, well, so when I went to college, I flunked out of college. Um, originally, I, my partying, of course, my partying was not the kind of partying that most people think of. You know, you think of movies like Nerds or something where like <laughs> everybody's just drinking all the time. So my partying is. I stayed up late to play guitar for a few people and I was mm-hmm. rocking it in a dorm room until the cops got called on us. And then we got sent home and I just slept through class and didn't go to class for months on end. And then, um, got involved with a girl who completely broke my heart. This is all in the book. So yeah, uh, buy the book. That way I can make five more dollars um, <laughs> because this girl broke my heart. I was like, well, I'm just not going to go back to school. And I still passed like two of my classes and fell the rest of them. Um, and during that three year period where I was out, I didn't think I was ever going to have a chance to go back to college. And so I worked for Office Depot in the daytime. And then I was trying to get involved in my church because I, you know, God calls us. So we or you know, God calls everybody. So I've got to do everything possible to make, save the world. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I was, I was 19. Okay. So just remember that always starting <laughs> in 20. And then there's a little bookstore that was near my, um, near Office Depot in Dallas. And I went and bought a book two or three times a week. I didn't make enough money to do that. or And I just uh, would read all the leadership books that I could. And the ones I couldn't read, I just skipped over those and went to a different one and just kept reading, reading, reading. And I developed uh, one, what was the name? The book was called Leadership. I can't remember the exact name, but it was by Fred Smith. But it's, there's like two famous Fred Smiths, but this is one who isn't the one that everybody else thinks of when you think of Fred Smith. It was like a Christian Fred Smith who ran some kind of, I know that sounds really, and Fred Smith is no, such no, a no. common name. That, um, but he wrote, he basically talked about it. You have to keep on making the choices to do the right thing and then kind of hope that eventually things are going to work out. You can never know what the future is going to hold, but you can at least try to pattern yourself in a way. Uh, I'm actually speaking in ways that he didn't speak, but I developed a phrase that said, um, I refuse to be discouraged by what I see, but encouraged on what will be. Okay. And at the yeah. time, that was partially a Christian, my Christian thing of thinking that a rapture was going to happen because this is in the middle of like left behind all coming out and stuff. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. Um, that was that was definitely part of it. It's like, well, even if Earth is horrible, one day heaven's going to be great. Um, <laughs> so that was that um, that was my phrase for a long time. And then when I went back to college, I got um, the the lucky. I would say very, very lucky, very fortunate um, that my parents gave me a gift of paying the fees because you don't get your scholarships or grants and stuff when you flunk out. You have to pay back your full tuition and then hope that, you know, uh, the the federal student loan package will come in the fall, um, yeah. <laughs> following semester after you do okay. And it was, I won't lie, that was the worst semester ever for me because it was a struggle. I hated my classes, but I had, the pl- I had the chance to go back and do something I never thought I would. And so... A couple of semesters in, that's when I kind of got exposed to the acorn oak tree metaphor um, for Aristotelian thinking, and I loved it. I really um, tried to embrace it, and over the past 
Oh my goodness, I feel old. Thanks a lot, Dan. Thanks for making me feel old. Uh, for the past 17 and a half years, I've really embraced that uh, acorn to oak tree metaphor and use that for, so I, I do think it, I don't really think it matters who, where you're coming from, So, but it's, it's something that, like, I, I drive my wife crazy a lot of times because I'm constantly trying to figure out how can we do things better because I never thought I was going to get past a minimum wage kind of mindset. I thought I was going to live in not poverty in the sense of poverty like I was going to try to be in poverty, but I figured that the people I was going to spend most of my time around weren't going to ever make money, and therefore to be among those people, uh, I wasn't expecting to make money either. So I always had to find ways to kind of operate with you can't expect anything more than what you get, and so how can I make how can I make time for things? So. Um, it just happened that streaming TV, you know, Hulu and stuff came out right at the time that happened. So we saved a lot on cable <laughs> from there the get go. go. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, but, and then a, a book came out, oh, I guess it's been three years now, but Atomic Habits by James Clear. And I think he really does a great job of illustrating no matter where. So to answer your question, he's, he's one I would refer to in more common, uh, more recent language of how to make those small things to continue to push forward and continue to become what you're created to be as opposed to just be static on where you are. Before we get to Randy, we're going to try something different in season two. This is my little growth. We're going to try a segment called Second Chances, and I'm going to try to get, uh, try to get Alex to sing Our Pod is a Pod of Second Chances from the Jonah movie. Uh, but... Uh, I want to you to come. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> I know that movie. By the way, that is a great um, uh, commentary. Commentary. Oh, there's uh -huh. a commentary on the Jonah movie by Mr. Lunt. Um, <laughs> oh no. Uh, yes. Uh, oh goodness, I want to say it was Alfred. No, it's not Alfred. It's not Alfred. It's just Mr. Lunt, Larry, and is it Paul Grape? And they talk. It's it's. It's the funniest one. Of course, it's all, you know, just gibberish because it's them making up stuff. But they're like, so how did you get Jonah to fly like that? Oh, it was wire removal. And uh, like wire removal. Oh, yeah, we tested it with Who Framed Roger Rabbit. And then we did it in Matrix. And we just realized that wire removal is the way to get this shot. And it's like, it's just <laughs> hilarious. Um, I want to do second chances because I realize that's why I find such an appeal in Randy Newman. Because he's someone that I blew off as a younger person. Uh, someone's like, oh, you know, he, he's, he's a guy who does jingles or, or whatever. And when, when I gave him that second chance and realized that there was a depth to that, that really appealed to me. So I'm asking my guests, who is an artist, a musician, that you think people should give a second shot to? Oh, goodness, that's going to be tough. Um... So it's going to have to be someone that's actually been heard, right? So that way it can't be like, I can't say like give a second chance to Jarvix because most people right. don't even know who Jarvix is outside of a collected few. Um, see, because, so I grew up, my mom loved the Beatles growing up. And so because of that, and she had Beatles cards and everything. So because of that, I hated the Beatles for most of my young life. Uh -huh. So for me, the Beatles were actually a second chance group, even though most people, it's their first chance. Um, and actually a lot of the bands that I like, that I would, I would say are second chance bands for me were probably first chancers for people like Nirvana. I didn't like them when they first came out, but I, I, as I, 
studied a little bit more about uh, music and stuff. I, I really appreciate what they brought. I've never um, gotten into them. You know, I know a few of the songs that I've, I've never really, never really bothered with it. So that's and again, it has. Of course, you have to look at. You know, I, uh, when Nirvana was at their height, I was just starting junior high, so it oh, um, so it was like the perfect angsty kind of thing. And again, excellential. So uh, got that. I, I really like that phrase, excellential. Oh, I like that too. I'm gonna use that. I, I'm trying to think of some. You know what? I, I'll say yeah. I, I got one. It's actually my favorite blues artist, uh, Stevie Ray Vaughan. Uh, I don't. I think a lot of people missed him at the time that he was recording. In fact, he died before I really even listened to any of his music. Yeah, but um, he was perhaps, and I'm very biased, so I'm going to say he is the greatest guitarist um, that walked the earth. Um, and the reason why is because he cut heads with Eric Clapton, uh, Jimmy Vaughn, um, George Harrison, and a few other people, and he completely stole the show. And it happened to be the night that he ended up dying um, in, the, in the crash, but uh, uh, he it was Eric Clapton's show and he invited all those people. I mean, he cut heads with ZZ Top back when he was a teenager. He was like 17 and they came to the bar to play and he went up there and he um, completely killed them. In fact, their agent said they could no longer, he could never longer go on with them because it was, it, it was a distraction for them buying and um, supporting them. Uh-huh. And I don't think enough people, I think enough people know who Steve Ray Vaughn is like, and they're like, Oh yeah, I've heard that name and stuff, but they don't, they haven't really embraced his music or seen the impact he has. He mastered uh, Jimi Hendrix's uh, Voodoo Child and um, uh, Little Wing and stuff when he was like 14 years old. And he definitely, he brings the level of bluesy blues, Bobby Bland, uh, Howlin' Wolf, um, just all the these great blues magi- magician, <laughs> magicians, musicians. They were magicians. They were sure. that great. They were magicians as well. They brought all this great music um, and blues, but he also brought this kind of really modern sense of, you know, taking the chops and stuff. Like he, he, he never could read music from his whole life, but he could master anything. He was one of those ones that could just hear it and play it, mm-hmm. and then he could create more on top of it. And, um, yeah, so I would say Stevie Ray Vaughan, and I, specifically his album "Couldn't Stand the Weather." It's uh, it's just a brilliant piece of um, music history that I think it's it gets missed a lot because um, he was in blues at the time that no one listened to blues. Yeah, uh, no one really. I mean, now we're so now we get everything available to us in Spotify and stuff, but our YouTube, uh, but we don't really remember how hard it was for non-mainstream music to be on the air on radio <laughs> um and he's uh and he, he's from dallas too so maybe that's a bias or something but uh yeah <laughs> stevie I'll, I'll say stevie ray bond stevie ray vaughn and double trouble so all right i will listen tonight i've got some my first paycheck for my first job i went and got a fabulous thunderbird cd uh, so I know Jimmy a little more than I know Stevie Ray, but I will, I'll get back. And I remember the night that Stevie died. I mean, it was, I, I'm a little bit older than you, so I remember when that happened. Uh, but yeah, yeah, I've never gotten deep into him, so I'll give that a listen. Yeah, and I, I'm, I'm, trying to, I'm, I'm trying to think of musicians that period that like are well-known but i mean because i'm not gonna say oh yeah you should listen to nickelback no really they're good um but because i I don't if they are they might be i don't know yeah i i just i really don't know because i'm not into that style 
Well, what Randy song are we talking tonight, Mike? Yeah, so I think this is the thing that we started discussions on from the very first time is uh, my very first exposure that I can remember is from the 1989 movie Major League Baseball, or Major League, and it was the opening song, and it was uh, Burn On, and I believe that's off of his Sell Away album. Yeah, it's off of Sail Away. Is that correct? Yep. Folks, take a minute and pause us and listen to Burn On. It's a pretty short one uh, off of Sail Away. And once you listen to Burn On, we will be right back. We ain't no band. We're a company. Simple. Nothing to do with rock and roll. Do-da. Do-da. Okay. So, yeah. So let, let, let's talk about this. You, you, you said that, that your first exposure was to made was was with Major League. Yes, and this is the this is the, op- the song that goes in the opening titles that basically shows you how horrible Cleveland has gotten, uh, how run down it is, and stuff. And the you know you've got a steel mill in the background. You've, in fact, I think there's actually a boat in the opening sequence at all, which I didn't even know that's what the words were. I just thought it was something else, but that's okay. <laughs> uh, and. Uh... I saw Major League when it came out, and I haven't gone back and listened to it I, I, and, and seen it again. Is it hold up? Should I should I watch Major League again? I think if nothing else, the stars that came out of that that makes it fun to see them when they were younger. Because okay. you have Charlie Sheen, you have Wesley Snipes yeah. um, as Willie Mays Hayes, um, <laughs> you have Tom Bergen. Uh, I can't even say his last name, Bergenson or whatever. But back when he was actually big deal, and now he's like nobody. Um, the how oh can the boss the owner she she ended up doing some stuff afterwards which is pretty cool i i think it does uh it it epitomized my love of baseball at the time but it um yeah i mean it's not like major league two or anything it, it's it's got bad humor because you know it's um rated r movie or whatever that i saw yeah. as a 10 year old so uh-huh. <laughs> um but I, I think it does i think it still kind of talks about what the pressures are of um a, a sport or a business that has quotas they have to meet. And if they don't meet those quotas, the struggle of keeping that business in the city or moving it on. So I think you can definitely apply it to non-sportsy kind of groups, but it definitely sports wise, it, it's there every year with, uh, I mean, how many times have we, well, you were at OU at the time that uh, the Gary Gibbs era, I'm guessing. And um, there Gibbs and Schnellenberger. I'm sorry on that last one, um, <laughs> but um, yeah, so I'm sorry. I, I, I can, as you can tell, I can actually talk forever. I just don't always do this on my podcast. <laughs> That's all I get. Uh, so yeah, th- this, this song was written, I want to say about 1970, you know, back when Cleveland was really dirty, <laughs> you know, back, back when, 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 when the river was catching fire every, every, uh, I think it happened three or four times uh, that the, the, the Cuyahoga River was just so polluted that, that it would catch fire from time to time. Uh, and uh, he paints this, he paints this, this picture of Cleveland that's, that's really kind of tongue in cheek here, that, that, that he's, he's almost using this flowery language uh, talking about the, the, the river uh, flowing into the lake here, which which is, is an unusual approach. Yeah, I, 
I think 1989 or around 1989, there was just kind of a weird, because that's when Tim Burton really released a lot of his movies as well, like Beetlejuice, Edward Scissorhands, um, things like that. And so really macabre type stuff. And this song, even though it's a completely different genre of movie and stuff, um, that kind of stuff just really interested me um, and still interests me. Like there's this kind of depressing thing about this song that feels right. Like if you're going to be depressed, at least this is the kind of song to listen to when you're depressed. Um, and, um, you know, I mean, even the end of the, I guess, and I'm looking at the lyrics that you were kind enough to post for me, but the end of the song where it just says, burn on, big, big river, burn on. Um, I think that's really, we, we don't have a choice. We have a choice. We can get rid of ourselves. We can remove ourselves from what's going on. But at the same time, life is here. It might not always be enjoyable, but we can still move on. We can still do what we need to do to try. And so I, I guess I'm an optimist more than I thought I was beforehand. I love this. Uh, I, I love this whole image of, of us the polluters having a power that even God doesn't. The Lord can do all these things to you, but the Lord can't make you burn. But uh, it, it, it takes man being very intentional with our carelessness to make something like that even physically possible. Right. And that's one of the things I love listening to this podcast because you you are taking the more legitimate understanding of the song. <laughs> I'm looking at this as an inspiration. I'm looking at this as an inspirational song, and you're like, "Yeah, this is a um, this is a bad song." I, I completely miss those lyrics. I mean, even though I was looking at them, like, oh, "The Lord can make you tumble, the Lord can make you turn, the Lord can make you overflow, but the Lord can't make you burn." And I'm like, "Yeah, because we're the ones that choose to keep burning. Like, keep on moving forward. Keep burning." No. <laughs> That's what's going on in my mind, and now you're like, I'm like, oh yeah, oh yeah, we're. <laughs> but you know, I yeah. see a lot of hope in this. I do because Cleveland, I, Cleveland has cleaned up its act. Uh, you know, you know, I've got family from Pittsburgh, and they say, yeah, yeah you should have seen Pittsburgh in the '70s. It was just filthy, uh, and. Yeah, you know, we, we have made a lot of strides uh, environmentally uh, in, in the past 30 or 40 years that Randy might not have known about when he wrote this. He might have thought this was what Cleveland was going to look like forever. That every year for the next 100 years, yeah, river's on fire again. But, uh, yeah. but, but uh I'm not here to pat us on the back, and I'm not here to pat the oil and gas industry on the back, but it ain't <laughs> like it used to be. Well, I, I, I like one thing, and, and this this whole album um, was actually really powerful for me, and I'm glad I'm so glad you recommended it to me. But this song, one of the things I like about this album is Randy Newman is very much a truth teller. Now, it's always perspective truth, but it's a truth teller. <laughs> and... Um, because I've heard the discussions that you've mentioned with Selaway on some of the, with the other guests and stuff, but um, the sometimes we get so caught up of imagining um, how we can be or what we are, how we perceive ourselves that we don't actually just tell the truth and have a place to start. And this is just saying, you know, we're in a bad place, but once you recognize you're in a bad place or you're in a place of 
hopelessness or maybe you're at the bottom of your, you know, the end of your rope. Yeah. Once you know that, then you can react to the proper thing. If you still think you're at the top of the game, but you're at the end of the rope, you're going to respond wrong. And real, I mean, and so, yeah, I, I love even with, even with the probably more correct interpretation of the words like you brought. Um, well, there, I, I wouldn't say correct or incorrect. I, I, I love how Randy evokes different reactions for different people. That's why I bring people on. That's, that, 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 that's so I can, can get that perspective. Don't, don't, don't see yours as incorrect. Don't do that. I said more correct, just to, for the record. Oh, okay. <laughs> no, I, I, I I, I definitely think that everybody's perspective has some legitimacy, but I think of, um, I mean, it's really easy to pick on politics today of truth telling, but I don't think we'll, we'll go back to a discussion we had on um, my podcast earlier about the church. And I think the church has been really horrible at truth telling for so long. And I think there's pockets now that are telling the truth about the world we live in, but for so long they've been, um, kind of just going on some kind of glory filled thing of not ta- not talking about like this is what we're trying to be, but just like oh yeah, everything's great. You know, if you're if you believe in God, everything's going to be fine. Yeah, um, don't worry about anything. Just just believe in God. And and so I have this really weird love hate relationship with the church of feeling like I don't know an identity outside it, but at the same time, um, too much of my life, not all of it, but too much of my life, I've had people from the church world or Christianity in particular that have not been speaking the truth. Uh, so like when, when we had our miscarriage, um, a pastor friend, and this guy's a friend, um, but he said that, well, sometimes God just wants to, um, you know, sometimes this is just so you can really appreciate what God has for you or something like that. And I'm yeah. like, so <laughs> first of all, you're, you're a member of a free will religion. And you're saying God caused something like this to happen. That causes a whole other <laughs> problem. Yeah. But um, I won't be going to your church anymore. And then a, a lady told me, like, oh, I understand. My dog died. Like, you're comparing your dog dying, which I'm sure you loved and was awesome, to my wife um, having a miscarriage. I, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. I have never had a miscarriage. I've had a dog die. I don't think they're the same. Just <laughs> maybe I'm wrong. Uh, but uh, I, I think that's we're Randy as a whole, but specifically in the song, there is a, there's a lot of truth telling of just, just stating things, how they are. At least we can hear very clearly the perspective of how this person is thinking things are. And once we know what their perspective is, we have a way of engaging um, and hopefully building constructive conversation to, do we want to stay this way? Do we want to change? Or, I mean, it's okay to stay if we know we're staying, but what, what do we do with this now? Now that we know where we are, what do we do with this? Yeah. And also, I just love the tune. Um, yeah. Just the way it brings it, it makes you feel like something you wake up to, and be like, "Yeah, I'm going to work." <sighs> okay, okay. This is not depressing, but it's also not like super, like you know. I mean, even though that's good sometimes too. I can think. I'm not here to put you on the spot. If you know this, fine. If you don't know this, fine. I can think of three songs about the Cuyahoga River catching on fire. Got burn on. Then and I can honestly tell you, I didn't even know what the Cuyahoga River was until looking at the lyrics just now. So okay. I'm gonna say the other one would be obviously Britney Spears. Oop, I, oops, I did it again. Yes, and, she, she, um, she, she was doing a barbecue. Old, uh, <laughs> <laughs> in America, the beautiful. I don't yeah, know. Yeah, pretty much. 
Uh, REM did one called Cuyahoga. Uh, it's off of Life Search Pageant. And then uh, I don't know how big you were into contemporary Christian in the early 90s, but Adam again wrote the song River on, Fi- River on Fire, which is just... Okay, I didn't realize that that's about the Cuyahoga as yeah, well. Yeah, it's about the Cuyahoga, and that's just... Uh, if I'm ever invited on the Praise Down again, I'm doing that Adam again album because it stands the test of time. Uh, so this is this is okay. a this is an event that has inspired three songs that I can think of, and uh, I recommend all three. Here it comes, Mike. Here comes the wheel. Oh my goodness, folks! You, you want to play the home game? No whammies. Stop. Oh my goodness. <laughs> okay, so we've done this one like twice. We have to do a different one. I mean, yeah, you need I'll, to take it off the I'll, one that you're doing. <laughs> you know what? Season two, it's time to trim the wheel of Randy. Yeah, we're gonna take some off. All right, so we're not doing Glory Train. And no whammies, no whammies. Stop. Oh shoot! It landed on guilty, which we've done a million times, right? So we're gonna and do one. stop. <laughs> <laughs> okay this is i don't think i recognize this one so i'm gonna say right. this is new yeah this is new all right. okay all right new for the show <laughs> new for the show we've landed on on the beach and it is off of his latest album so it's new in that way as well oh. so folks take a few minutes and uh pause us and listen to on the beach this is off of the album dark matter Uh, Mike, you and I will listen to this together, and folks, we will be right back. Do-da. 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 And we are back. All right, Mike. (laughs) I already know I have no idea what this is about, but I love the music. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Hopefully, hopefully, uh, lyrics in the chat will help here some. But uh, yeah, this is this is about a, a a guy who who dropped out of junior high and just hung out on the beach for the rest of his life. Yeah, that's probably not what I would originally heard. I, of course, with his distinctive voice, I thought it said it all began with grandma and on the beach and said grammar school. So that definitely changed. <laughs> the... <laughs> I sh- I should have given you the lyrics first. Yeah, I'm I'm not the good I'm not good at initial interpretation of stuff uh, poetry. Uh, I usually go through the insights of um, intelligent people like Dan Wade uh, oh, for my. <laughs> I'm really bad at interpreting poetry. Uh, Tell me your first impressions about it. Though. Tell me how it made you feel. Well, I again, this is a song I could definitely feel myself listening to just on a nice afternoon, just as background music without yeah. listening to the words at all. <laughs> uh, I love the I love the bass line that comes in from the initial after the initial opening. I love the little guitar parts that um, kind of give that, it that. Is that Hawaiian slide guitar kind of feel to it? Yeah, yeah, and it, it's got kind of almost a I don't know 1930s kind of feel to the the approach of the music not not the style of music but it's just kind of like hey it's the 1930s all of a sudden we're 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 here yeah <laughs> um but yeah you're definitely right it's got that polynesian kind of uh 
you know, you definitely feel that Moana would feel okay up here listening to this. And then when I heard polyurethane, I just... You don't hear the word I, polyurethane like, in songs a lot. <laughs> I don't hear it at all. <laughs> <laughs> oh, goodness. Um, One thing I noticed as we were as we were watching it, I was looking at, at the YouTube uh, stats, and this song has 162 likes and 48 dislikes, which is just the YouTube kiss of death <laughs> that so many people gave this a thumbs down. <laughs> I don't keep up with that as much, so I'm going to definitely believe you. What's the algorithm of knowing... I norm, on, normally on like YouTube. 90 to 95% are thumbs up on everything. And, and man, people do not dig this song. <laughs> I, well, uh, it's, it's an uncomfortable song. I mean, if you, if I had no music to guide this, <laughs> it's, it's kind of uncomfortable to, you know, seeing the word acid generally doesn't have a positive context ever. And uh, Willie saw acid, Willie saw fear. <laughs> <laughs> Willie saw free base, but Willie's still here, and it kind of gives you the Willies when you hear about Willie um, in that kind of context. <laughs> yeah, I, I think it's. So did he write this in 2017, or yeah, I he, think, is I this think like a song he wrote a long time ago, but just finally put it? I'm pretty sure he wrote this in 2017. My, I guess my thoughts now looking at the lyrics, because uh, it kind of makes me give. A, it kind of makes me feel that like it's people coming back from Vietnam or something. Yeah, yeah, there's <laughs> and, definitely uh, some of that. Just the general treatment. But uh, this guy, while I wouldn't want to be Willie, you know, I kind of get the feeling that nothing has ever bothered him. <laughs> that he's just going to hang out on the beach no matter what happens, and people can can chase their careers, and people can can fight their demons, and he's just going to stay where he is. Well, it, it makes me kind of um, think of Bubbles from uh, The Wire. Uh, the I never got the into guy who. Okay, it takes at least three episodes. That's um, what I've we usually watch it about. One. It, I hated the first two episodes, but everybody kept talking about it, so I forced myself to go get through it. When I got to the fourth episode, I was like, "Oh, um, cool!" And we actually own all. Five, it's one of the few shows we own all the seasons of, and we just finished watching it again recently. But um, Bubbles is the guy who um, his friend gets beat up. Because um, they they're, they do drugs all the time, and one of his friends try to stiff the drug dealer, and it kind of sets the whole show in motion of what goes on for the totality of the five seasons. But um, Bubs has kind of seen everything. Bubbles has seen everything, and he's done everything. He's not proud of anything, um, but he's just kind of there. And if you didn't already know him, you'd probably stay away from him. <laughs> uh, Grifter, you know, just whatever they can to buy the next drug. And I, and I know this isn't necessarily about drugs primarily, but it's definitely, it's that crazy person you stay away with. You know, your, your mama tells you not to um, hang out with these people. Um, yeah. Otherwise you might become like them or something. <laughs> but then my religious side makes me think of, you know, this is John the Baptist. So <laughs> I, I love how there's this little climate change jab in here. The twenty foot the twenty foot sets we used to lie well they're here now Willie don't sleep under the pier anymore because the, the the tides are are, are are heavier than they used to be but uh, you know Willie doesn't ever change but the world around him is changing because the ocean's going up and the railroads coming and they're tearing stuff down and so. 
he's he almost seems protective of Willie. It's like you don't understand what the real world's like. You got to watch out for this. You got to watch out for that. It's, that's where I, I I don't even if you tell me that I'm gonna have to look at this and I'm gonna have to like read up on some of that stuff because I completely miss all of that context that you're giving, yeah. and that's that's where I'm definitely an idiot. Um, I'm not saying that just to like I'm not doing the humble thing. I'm just like I really have a hard time with poetry, mm. um, but yeah that. I know those people, um, and I think they're. Uh, I, I definitely identify with outcast um, for whatever the reason is. They're an outcast, yeah, or weirdo. If we want to have it more culturally acceptable now, that's what we've got on. Which now makes me want to go find Willie and bring him home. <laughs> yeah, yeah, come on, Willie, <laughs> and put him in the outside the outside room. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> have a nice meal at least, Willie, before you go back. All right. Like, can I tell a short story? You can yeah. feel free to edit out if you want to. Or do you yeah, want to, um, so I went to Jackson, Mississippi. My friend became a youth pastor, and he needed some help. And he's from South Florida, so. <laughs> uh, but somehow he ended up in Jackson, Mississippi, to help his friend out. And then um, I went out um, from Oklahoma to Jackson, Mississippi, to help him out. Uh, this was in that three years I was gone uh, from college, and we had a guy who was a homeless dude, and he. He'd come to our church on Sunday mornings, and then he would leave. This was uh, at that time I was going to a Methodist church, and so that's my strongest base of Methodism, uh, practicing. Um, and it took a few months, but we found out that this dude, his uh, wife and kid, had gotten brutally murdered, and um, apparently he was like a millionaire or something. But after his wife and kid got murdered, um, he couldn't hold on to anything of this world anymore. Uh, like he could not physically so he no longer had a house or anything and he still had a bank account and he if you went to the right circles i guess he knew people that could vouch for him and stuff but he chose to be homeless and he chose to no longer accept the rules of the world um, but the nicest guy in the world and he provided so many great insights um, i wish i could say i knew his name or could remember his name um but maybe it's willie <laughs> It just instead of the beach of uh, beaches we think of, it's the beaches of South uh, Gulfport or something, you know. <laughs> All right, it's time for this week's cover. You can sing this one, right? This week's cover. Beautiful. This week's cover. And I've got a whole long list of new covers. Uh, because the LA Review of Books had a wonderful article on Randy's early years. Uh, and so because of that, I've got all these songs that I've never heard before. And so the one I want to play, and I've never heard it and you've never heard it either, is by the OJs. And this is called Friday Night. So I'm going to listen to this for the first time ever right now. And they are both associated now in something which is called public image limited. limited is it limited or unlimited limited limited what is that is it a band is it a public relations firm what does it do and what is it all right okay that was friday night by the ojs yeah i i really love that i love that style um it definitely definitely feels like the 60s like the <laughs> um there's, there's a little, little doo-wop going on there and... yeah 
it, it definitely makes me a little bit happier than Rebecca Black's version of Friday. So <laughs> <laughs> this is this is just good. I, I again, I, I have a hard time hearing the lyrics sometimes, but the overall feel of the song, what it's about, I like I, I'm ready. I'm ready for. I'm gonna have to go buy this and uh, listen to it every Friday on my way home from work. Definitely. <laughs> It's definitely, I, this was like, what did it say, 1966, so really, really, really young Randy. Uh, but, you know, he's, he's already got that sad and lonely vibe going. Uh, so, yeah. That, I'm, I'm, so I'm, he's a guy, basically, is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Uh, so thanks to future guest Holly Matter for, for sending me that, that L.A. Review of Books uh, Thank you, Holly. Article. This was awesome. Yeah, and uh, yeah, you'll dig Holly. She's 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 a cool chick. All right, Mike. I think that's about it. How can people get hold of you? What's the best way for them to get hold of your podcasts and get hold of you personally? Well, the best thing to do is mail a check that says cash. Uh, Got it. I'll give you the at no. <laughs> Um, MikeWMcVeigh.com. It's M-I-K-E-W-M-C-V-E-Y.com. That's the easiest way to catch up on the most recent episodes of my podcast. And if you want to donate to my um, retirement fund, you can more welcome to buy a book. Um, it'll go through Amazon, and I don't get any credit for it if you buy it through the website, but it's easier to remember that way. <laughs> uh, but the podcast is called Nobody's a Nobody Podcast with Mike McVeigh, and it is on I believe all the podcast players and Spotify and again, Mike W. McVeigh has a little player so you can see the most recent episode and you should definitely check out the Dan Wade episode. Cause I, I heard it's the best one of this year so far. We talk a disturbing amount of time about sewers and about how they get sewers wrong in the movies. I don't know if it was enough so, yeah, time to be honest. I think I can speak for our audience and say that. <laughs> Dan can trim back the sewer talk a little bit. <laughs> you know what? It's not going to happen. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> thanks for being such a loyal listener, and thanks for being such a big fan of, of the wheel. And uh, enjoy having you. And I will will we'll keep getting caught up on nobody's and nobody, and we will definitely keep in touch. Thanks a lot, Mike. Thank you, Dan. <laughs> Well, we did it. We got through another week here at Wheel of Randy. We are part of the Good Trash Media Network and are brought to you by Wade Engineering. Thanks to our guests today for sharing their time with us. Thanks to Matt Farley for our theme music. You can catch more of Matt's songs at moternmedia.com. That's M-O-T-E-R-N. Our artwork was designed by Brian Mays, and Brian can be reached on Facebook at Brian Mays Art. The background music you're hearing right now is Rock and Gravel by Sid Valentine's Patent Leather Kids, and I'm using it because it's public domain. Speaking of public domain, the Camp Town Races bumpers that you're hearing are sung by Tom Sharpling because he likes to make fun of that song being public domain. Technically, he could sue me, but Tom's a nice guy, I suppose. 
As I said, Wheel of Randy is brought to you by Wade Engineering. That is my day job. I'm a civil engineer licensed in Oklahoma and Texas, and I focus on water, wastewater, stormwater, and land development. Most of what I do, though, is water. I build computer models for water distribution systems, and towns and fire departments use that to figure out where their next line needs to go, where their next tower needs to go, and then when the fire department gets audited by, audited by the insurance people, they just show them my model to show, yes, our hydrants really work. It's a huge time saver. If you are a mayor or a fire chief, you know, we should really talk about how Wade Engineering can save you a lot of money. If you are a concerned citizen who's got the ear of a mayor or a council person, what I'd suggest you do, ask them what your town's ISO rating is. You want it to be a low number. You want it to be one or two, maybe three. If it's anything higher than three, then you guys need me because you're paying way too much for your homeowner's insurance. Wade Engineering can be reached at 405-426-7634. That's it for this week. See you next time. Bye. It's Wheel of Randy.